If you're new, you're thinking, weirdest church service <laughs> ever. I, I do wanna say just how thankful I am uh, for so many of you this week has been. Anyone have ever had a bad week? <laughs> this one's been a doozy. Um, but it's also been very beautiful in uh, just how thoughtful and intentional and the prayers and the encouragement and the support uh, of so many of you and uh, the staff and uh, all the different leaders. I, I'm just really, I'm really thankful and I'm not really good at giving PR statements. I was hired to give sermons and it's just wild to me. Hatred is no respecter of person and has no standards and it has no boundaries. And uh, to you, church, uh, to the trustees, to the elders, to the executive team, and to my pastor, uh, I'm just really sorry that people who hate me uh, decided to try to smear your good reputation as well. And uh, you've had a flawless legacy and career, and I hate that people think they can speak poorly of you and you as a church as well, so. Um, but thank you, just thank you for being good and uh, thank you for the prayers. My job is to preach and so that's what I'm gonna do. Um, I'm pretty simple-minded, I'm, I'm guessing you've picked up on that. I, I tend to approach life pretty simplistic and Anytime I bump into a situation, my default instinct is to always just go to scripture. Does the Bible say anything about this? Has something like this ever taken place in God's word? And so when it comes to parenting, I'm like, well, what does God's word say about parenting? When it comes to raising finances, I don't know, what does God's word say about managing your finances? And when it comes to trials and inconvenience and circumstances and the storms of life, does scripture have anything to say about the storms of life? And what's amazing to me is God at times seems like a weatherman throughout scripture because he documents a lot of storms. And today I, I just wanna look at the most horrific, greatest storm in human history. I think when you look at this storm, it maybe puts into perspective the storms that we face. And maybe there are things within this storm uh, that could illuminate a truth in God's activity and what we can expect from a, a faithful God. Amen. And that's the story of Noah and the ark, this infamous story. And it comes to us like this. In Genesis chapter six, nine through 10, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And Noah had three sons, if you're pregnant and you don't have a name yet, here are three options. <laughs> Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them, and I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth, so make yourself an ark. This is a daunting passage. 
it's amazing that this is one of the most famous children's stories that we tell people. I think partly because it's got a cool boat and a lot of cute animals. But when you get into the reality of the story, it's, it's not as cute as you would think. It's actually devastating and heartbreaking. This would be a passage that when I was first coming into the faith, tripped me up. And this would be a passage that as I have conversations with individuals who are new to the faith, I can sense this creates a tension in their own heart as well. What kind of God is this? What kind of God would wipe out the world? How do you reconcile that in your heart and in your mind? And how do you move forward trusting this God? How do you love and build a relationship with this God? He's, he seems so angry and his wrath is overwhelming. When you read the story, it, it's hard to reconcile what is happening in this moment. And what you find is at this moment, uh, humanity is 10 generations into humanity. There is this progression moving forward. And as humanity pioneers its new frontiers, we find that chaos is ensuing. And I think the Holy Trinity had a meeting. Hey, we gotta do something about this. And then God the Son said, well, should I go now? And they said, no, you shouldn't go now. It's too early. There's other things that need to take place. And the Holy Spirit was like, well, if you don't go, I can't go because I have to come after you. And I think God the Father was like, guys, it's okay. I, I know a guy. <laughs> you didn't even see it coming. And, and he tells Noah, he says, hey, build an ark. And I love that word ark because it actually is an Egyptian word. It comes from the Egyptian loan word. Uh, tava, which actually has a double meaning. It either means chest or coffin, which is fascinating to me. A coffin is something you place the dead in. A chest is something you place a treasure in. And I, I love that because uh, they put our savior in a coffin and he turned it into a chest and brought forth a treasure that redeemed humanity. And I just wonder, maybe in your life, do you think you're in a coffin and God sees the treasure that is within a chest. I, I love that. And he, he goes to Noah and he says, build an ark. And he actually goes into one of those passages, if it's probably a weird thing for a pastor to say, but have you ever bumped into a boring passage in scripture? A head scratcher, like, why is he telling us this? God lays out the blueprint. It needs to be this kind of wood. These are the measurements. It needs to be this long, this wide. This is the height. Here's where the door needs to go. Here's where the window needs to go. And I want you to gather all the animals. And this was quite the assignment. And I love what scripture says. After all this, it just says, and Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. I love that because You'll hear me say often, I do believe spiritual maturity is measured in the lag time between God's prompting and our obedience. How much lag time is there? And God comes to Noah and he gives him this daunting assignment with some really specific details. And Noah does everything just as the Lord had commanded. And he goes on to tell us when the storm came, the Lord shut him in, and for 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. 
And as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. And the waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. I love that. Scripture wants us to know that this was a terrible storm, but the ark floated. And have you ever discovered that in this life with Christ, there is a buoyancy to our faith? Storms come, the floods seem to be overwhelming, but somehow there's a buoyancy to this faith. Spiritually and mentally and you know, emotionally, God manages in his great ability to keep our heads above the water. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Noah and the ark, they floated. And I'm confident that if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what comes your way, uh, you will find that though life seems over your head, there's a great God who is over your life and there's an buoyancy uh, to this faith. But again, this is interesting to me. Humanity is unfolding and it's absolute chaos. And it makes me think of all the old Western films I watched growing up. Anyone wave at me if you like old Western films. I was, I was big into old Western films. My grandfather got me into them. and uh, I would just geek out over these movies. I loved Billy the Kid and Doc Holliday. And I loved, you know, all these guys. And my favorite movie was one called The Man from Snowy River. Uh, that, was, that was a cool flick for me. And I was so fascinated. You know, these were, you know, movies to portray a true story that as our nation moved west and as society was being developed, these were the things that took place in that progression. And, and I loved it so much. So my favorite game growing up was a game called Oregon Trail. Remember that? That and Carmen San Diego were my only two options. And uh, I loved Oregon Trail. I loved this idea of going west. And I used to just get such a kick out of these old Western films uh, because the heroes back then were outlaws. These guys were nuts. They'd get into a dispute and they'd go right out into the middle of the city. They'd put their backs to each other. They'd take 10 steps and then they'd turn around and just shoot each other. And then whoever lost laid on the ground while everyone went back into the saloon to cheers Billy the Kid for taking the guy out. And they would spend a week in these towns and on the last day, what would they do? It was like a pageant. They put on their biggest cowboy hat and their brightest buckle and they would go rob the bank. <laughs> and they wouldn't disguise themselves. They wouldn't try to hide who it was. In fact, as they were leaving town, they would make announcements. You let them know it was Billy the Kid and the gang. Like they wanted everyone to know and people would celebrate them. There goes our heroes with all of our money. <laughs> And I just remember thinking, wow, that's, that's so wild to me. That, that's, that was a part of our nation's story. In fact, what would we come to refer to it as? As the wild west. As our nation moved west, where society wasn't fully established and developed. There was just chaos and, and madness. And here's what I would say. There is often a domineering, frontier whenever pioneering a frontier. 
I'm just telling you, something about the progressive attracts the aggressive. And anytime humanity moves into a new frontier, it, it just creates space for chaos. It just creates space for corruption and wrongdoing. And that is what's happening in the story of Noah. Adam and Eve have moved out of the gardens and now we're 10 generations in and what we're finding as they continue to move into a new frontier and humanity starts to spread around the world, corruption is spreading as well. And I always feel like anytime I preach, I need to speak to the skeptic in the room, the person who's trying to help me still understand what is going on here. This seems really impulsive by this God. And what you find is in this moment, God is not impulsive. If anything, God is extremely patient. Right now we're reading Genesis, first book of the Bible. If you go to the end of the Bible, the second to last book, Jude, which is one chapter, Jude says this, gives us a detail and you should know this. Jude says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about salvation, the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago. He's like, hey, when we go back into the old scriptures, what I love about it is Jude is referencing scripture not knowing he is also writing scripture. This is amazing how this is unfolding. He said, Individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign. And Lord, he's saying, hey guys, if you go back in scripture, what you're finding is there were things that took place long ago and they're starting to show up again. And then he gives us a daunting detail. He says this, he says, Enoch, which is crazy because Enoch is Noah's great, great grandfather, right? Enoch prophesied, and this is what he prophesied. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them all of their ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders and they follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. And these are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring to you eternal life. But what would Judas saying? as he's looking at the people around him and he's, he's looking at things that he's, are taking place in the society in which he lives in. And he's saying, hey, we are looking at the residue and the remnant of things that happened long ago. Things that a man by the name of Enoch prophesied about 
and his prophecy came to pass. God judged this in a very decisive way. And I say all that because Enoch prophesied about the flood 969 years before the flood took place. In this moment, this is not God being wrathful and this is not God being impulsive. But at some point, the right thing to do is the right thing to do. And God, in his patient sovereignty, uh, brings to pass this judgment moment. It's hard to get your mind around. But I do believe that when you look at the story of the ark, if you don't see God's patience and long suffering, you miss the story. Anyone thankful for God's patience and his long suffering, his forbearance? My goodness, I'm thankful that he, he puts up with me. And I think that's important to hold in your mind as we look at this. Now, I'm gonna share with you just some observations uh, on the story of knowing the ark. And I, I pray that maybe one of them, if not all of them, will speak to you. And the first observation is this. It wasn't raining when God told Noah to build the ark. Think about this. Most scholars and commentaries believe that Noah had never in his life experienced rain. Never in his life experienced a large body of water, which means he never witnessed or experienced a large flotation device. God comes to Noah and gives him this assignment and tells him to do something that he has no frame of reference for. Nothing in his past experience can explain this prompting. God said, hey, there's a storm's coming and the rain is gonna come, floods are gonna rise. And I think Noah had to have so many questions. What's rain? What's a flood? What's an ark, right? Like, how am I gonna get the animals? Like, I'm guessing he had a lot of questions and has God ever prompted you? Has there ever been a dream? Has there ever been something in your soul that is triggered and you have some questions? God, I don't know how this one is gonna work out. God, there's things in this situation that don't make sense to me. But what I love about it is Noah took God at his word. He was faithful. And what you find is he begins building an ark long before there is ever a single drop. And folks, I'm convinced of this. Those who are at peace within the storm are those who were productive within the drought. I'm just telling you, God will come to you. He'll prompt you. God will give you instruction as to how you should live and the ways in which honor him. And a lot of times it's like, why do I need to live a life of humility? Why is integrity so important? Why does God want me to be forgiving? And why does God want me to be generous? And God is prompting you and he's shaping you and he's building your character. And a lot of times it's not until the storm comes that it all begins to make sense. Noah spends years building this ark and I'm guessing the whole time he's like, I, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. And then the storm comes and he's like, ah. Now I get it. And here's what I've discovered. God's reasoning is often found in the reigning. You ever found God's faithfulness, his promises coming to pass when life seems to be the toughest? And here's what I'm convinced of. It is, it is holding on to what God tells you in the light 
that keeps you firm and confident when you find yourself in the dark. And Noah was productive during the drought and it made him at peace during the storm. The second observation is engineers built the Titanic, but a novice built the ark. I'm guessing when God comes to Noah, it's like, hey, I'm sending a flood. You and your family are gonna build a boat. I'm guessing Noah thought, are you sure? <laughs> when you go throughout the pages of scripture, that is a question that seems to be echoed all throughout it. God comes to Abraham. Hey, I'm going to make you a father of many. Abraham's like, I'm, I'm old. My wife's barren. We can't have kids. Are you sure you have the right guy? And you see this all throughout it. Samuel goes to anoint the next king and he shows up at Jesse's house and Jesse gets his, his boys and all seven of them walk in front of Samuel and God's like, nope, 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 nope. And Samuel's like, I mean, is there another kid? And they're like, well, yeah, but are you sure? Like he's, he's out there playing with the animals in the field and they bring David in and they anoint David as king. And it's like, are you sure? God tells Elijah to go appoint Elisha as the next prophet. Where does he find Elisha? Behind the 12th yoke of ox, plowing a field. And I'm guessing both of them had to think, God, are, are you sure? And this is all throughout the pages of scripture. Jesus begins to select his disciples, tax collectors and dropouts. And, and I'm guessing everybody was like, are you sure? He even says, hey, Peter, I'm going to let you be the ringleader of all this, which I'm guessing for sure everybody asked the question, do you have the right guy? This is all throughout the pages of scripture. The apostle Paul shows up in the city of Damascus, breathing murderous threats. Acts chapter nine, you ought to read it yourself. And he shows up, has an encounter with Jesus. He shows up to do harm. He is an adversary. And in a moment, he becomes an advocate. God sends a man by the name of Ananias to go tell Paul, hey, go tell him he's my chosen instrument. And Ananias is like, are you sure? He just showed up to take us out. You want me to go tell him that you're gonna use him greatly. Guys, I'm just telling you, there's gonna come a moment in your life that as you remain faithful, God's gonna put something in front of you and it's gonna have you asking the question, are you sure? My name is Christopher Johnson, and uh, it's a pretty common name. My parents are great, but lacked creativity. And this makes me a leading candidate for identity theft. And a lot of people have my name. And so when I got the call from this remarkable church, I thought to myself, God, are you sure? Am I getting someone else's call? I remember my first time preaching up here, I was speaking to my dad and he said, son, you get up there and you act like you've been there before. And I said, dad, one problem, I haven't. <laughs> and I, I just think God is not looking for people with great ability. I think he's looking for people with great availability. People who say, you know what? Like, I trust you. 
And here's the thing, if all you ever do is what you can control, you'll never experience the ability of our God. And God specializes in bringing men and women to the end of themselves, all so that they can experience his majestic grandeur in their life. And sometimes you have to say yes to something, even though in the back of your mind, you're thinking, are you sure? Next observation. The ark had a window to see, but not a wheel to steer. You go through this exhaustive blueprint and God lays out all the details and I'm OCD and I I tend to stress out over plans. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, where's the steering wheel? Anyone else, you're a control freak? How do I control this thing? And it's beautiful because God gives him all the instructions to build this ark. He gives him a window to see but not a wheel to steer. And what I've discovered in my life is sometimes the safest place I can be is outside of my control. I I just, I love this. And I think in this life, we don't get to control, but we do get to contribute. And if we relinquish our control and we surrender our lives to God, what we find is he navigates the seas of life and he brings us to destinations we could have never arrived at on our own. It's a beautiful thing. And our goal and our privilege is to look out the window and see it all come to pass. In addition to that, I would say the storm on the outside of the ark was not as big of a threat as the two woodpeckers on the inside. (laughs) Again, I'm looking at this story and I'm, I'm just stressed out and I'm thinking that surely Noah had to think through, if those two jokers start poking holes in this thing, we're gonna have a problem. And I'm convinced of this, life comes with storms, but the greatest threat is not the storm on the outside, but oftentimes it's the, it's the woodpeckers on the inside. You'd ever have, have you ever had things just torment you? Lies get into your mind, insecurity, self-deprecating thoughts, anxiety, worry. I mean, you can hear so many bad things about yourself said that you can, you can almost start to believe them. And you have to learn to put woodpeckers in cages. Scripture says that we ought to expect this. Scripture says you ought to take every thought captive and hold it accountable to God's word. In other words, I arrest these thoughts, and I interrogate them. Where'd you come from? Where are you going? And what's your agenda in my life? And I think the only way to still a racing heart is to stop a racing mind. And so it is learning to manage the space between your ears. Noah is on a boat that they say could have fit 45,000 animals. I'm not much of an animal person. (laughs) That's wild to me. The average zoo in America, 2,000 animals. And I think to myself, I don't know. I I think I would have rather swam in the water than sit in a room with a bear and a gorilla. (laughs) But sometimes it is learning to be at peace in the internal space where it matters most, amen? In addition to that, cheetahs and turtles traveled at the same speed. 
on the ark. This is a really deep sermon. <laughs> the cheetah is so much more impressive than a turtle. If we were to do a poll, hey, which would you rather be, a cheetah or a turtle? Most people are like, a cheetah, duh, they're fast, they're beautiful, they're elegant, they have all this great ability. A turtle? Who would want to be a turtle? But when the flood comes, who would you rather be? A cheetah or a turtle? And when the flood comes, there's no question, I'll be the tortoise. I think that's a beautiful thing. The storms of life, they have a way of leveling the playing field, and sometimes it's adversity that brings out the greatness in us as individuals. We, we go through life constantly comparing ourselves to other people, and we're overwhelmed by insecurity, and we're always frustrated that God didn't make us like this, and God didn't give me this ability, and God didn't give me that personality, and then a moment comes and we discover, oh my goodness, God, I'm so thankful you put this shell around me. And I'm so thankful you gave me this buoyancy. I'm so thankful you made me a turtle because I've been living in a world full of cheetahs. I think it's a beautiful thing and it's just learning to be like, this is just who I am. For whatever reason, God decided to make me this way. And there's gonna come times in which it's gonna become clear as to why he did so. In addition to that, I think it's important to point out that God did not speak to Noah during the storm. Now, this is not to say God never speaks during storms. That's not what I'm saying. But it is interesting to me, God does not speak to Noah during the storm. And I, I think the reason for that is God had already made his plan clear. There was nothing more to be said. And a lot of times, again, we're not listening when God is speaking to us in the light. And then we're confused and frustrated when we find ourselves in the dark. And it's just learning, God, what does your word say? Because there is gonna come a time where I'm gonna find myself in a storm and I need to remember your promises. It makes me think of a story in Mark chapter four where Jesus was caught in a storm. And check this out. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, I love this statement, just as he was. My goodness, I think the church would see revival if we would just take Jesus as he is and stop trying to form him into our image and likeliness and stop trying to package him in our preferences, but if we were to take him just as he was. In the boat, and there were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, and I love this, and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
Folks, next time you find yourself in a storm, you need to remind yourself, even the wind and the waves obey him. All things are subordinate under the hand of my heavenly father. And this is interesting to me because one, they doubt his guarantee. Jesus says, hey, let's get into the boat. Let's go over to the other side. And folks, what you need to understand is our God doesn't make predictions. He only makes promises. And so he said, we're going over to the other side. Folks, we're going over to the other side. And in this moment, they start to doubt his guarantee. In addition to that, they begin to doubt his character. You ever found yourself guilty of that? Maybe seen that around you in some relationships? The moment we don't understand someone's conduct, we begin to attack their character. It's a terrible pattern and behavior to graft into your relationships. And they come to Jesus. And what do they say? Don't you even care? And have you ever been in the middle of a storm crying out to God, Lord, don't you care? And how do they find Jesus? Asleep. And I think sometimes we get it wrong in our prayers. Because when we go to God, it's less about us informing him of our problems. And maybe it should be more about allowing him to impart his peace. In this storm, what is the posture, the demeanor, and the composure of my savior? And Jesus rises and he goes on the deck and he says a three word statement that is profound. He says, quiet, be still. Quiet, be still. And folks, you have to see the pattern. Jesus calls for silence before he calls for stillness. Uh, again, the best way to deal with a racing heart is to deal with a racing mind. And sometimes you have to disengage from all the noise and all the chaos and all the things bombarding your heart and bombarding your mind and competing for your attention. And sometimes God is saying, hey, I can bring about stillness, but first we need to bring about some silence and there's too much noise. We live in the information age and I'm convinced we don't need more information. If anything, we need more interpretation. What do you do with all this information coming our way? And Jesus says, quiet and be still. And I love it because they're like, who is this man? And I'm telling you, you're gonna have an encounter with God at some point, I promise you. You continue hanging out in a space like this. You continue opening the pages of scripture. You continue following Christ. There's gonna come a moment where he's gonna do something in your life and you're gonna be like, <laughs> Who is this guy? None other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our rock, our redeemer, our savior, our shield. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. He is amazing. And even the wind and the waves, they obey him. They obey him. It's a beautiful thing. Here's my last observation. Every storm comes to an end. Folks, whatever you're going through, maybe it's been a bad week, bad month, bad year. Every storm, it comes to an end. This is the greatest storm in human history and it had an ending. And your storm, it has an ending. And I would say this, true faith isn't trusting God for something. True faith is trusting God 
through something. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message translation of the Bible, defined faith as this. He said, it is a long obedience in the same direction. It's waking up every single day, God, despite what I'm going through, I trust you. God, despite these circumstances, I know you're with me. And it is step by step by step, and it is our faithfulness that positions us to experience his faithfulness. It's amazing. And then there comes this verse. The storm's coming to an end. And and I want you to like to slow down. And I want you to take this verse in. I love this statement. Like when I read this statement, it like triggers emotion in my heart. Because here, this man Noah and his family have just gone through the worst storm in human history. Now let that weigh on you and watch this statement. But God remembered Noah. I love that because we tend to think God has amnesia and forgets about us. And folks, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And there's gonna come moments where you think he forgot about you. What's the old hymn we used to sing? His eye is on the sparrow, right? He just, you don't go off his radar. He keeps his eye on you and he doesn't forget about you. And there'll come a moment where you realize, he remembered me. He remembered me. And watch how this ends. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountain became visible. A window to see, no wheel to steer. The waters start to recede and Noah finds himself on top of a mountain he didn't set out to climb. The floodwaters begin to recede and Noah finds himself on top of a mountain he did not set out to climb. And folks, here's the word I want to leave you with. God will use the storms that bring you down to raise you up. What initially seems devastating in some bizarre way in God's brilliant sovereignty becomes elevating. The devastating becomes elevating. It's, it's amazing what happens in Noah's life. And I'm telling you, the same will be true in your life. 2020 was a rough year for me. Anyone, can you relate to that? Was 2020 rough on you? It was a tough year. And we were in Minneapolis, which became the epicenter of a lot of social unrest. The pain, the frustration, the pressure, the agony, the turmoil that was in our city was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And it was, it was tough on anyone who was in leadership. Most of you can relate to this. It's not specific to church world. Leaders in every industry faced pressure and had to make decisions uh, that were very difficult and new. And not every decision was liked or popular. In 2020, I had to make a decision that though it was the right decision and though it was supported by those I was accountable to, it came with some backlash. 
And the first wave of it was a blog that was written about me. And the blog claimed that I had pastored a large church in Florida, embezzled millions of dollars, had my own personal jet, got exposed for it, fled across the country, and had begun doing the same thing at my church in Minnesota. Initially, we, we kind of just didn't think much of it because there are so many things about it that were clearly off. For starters, I've never lived in Florida. I've never pastored a church in Florida. I've been here since the age of 27. Before that, I was down the street for six years as a youth pastor. And before that, I was downtown in the city at a university. I've never lived in Florida. And what was wild about that season is not only were we discovering, wow, this is crazy, someone can just create a blog and write something like this. What was also alarming was people believed it. I, I remember being in a meeting where we actually Googled, how do you prove you don't own a jet? <laughs> this, was, this was new territory. And what was even more heartbreaking was I found that not only did people believe this stuff, but they spoke openly about it at their dinner table in front of their kids. And one day, my kids come home from school in tears because kids at school started telling them, hey, your dad's going to prison. And I remember thinking, this is new territory. This is new territory. You know, we've always said, hey, we're in the world, but not of the world. We're in the world, not of the world. And we've always have referenced these kind of dual worlds that there is the spiritual and there is the physical. We're in the world, not of the world. And in that moment, I started realizing we now live between three worlds, the spiritual, the physical, and now the digital. And it's the wild west out there. And I remember we had a, a night of worship and prayer as a church. Our church was being vandalized and it was just this wild unfolding. And I remember going to the altar and just dropping to my knees. And as I was praying, these two little hands pressed upon my back and uh, someone took a picture of it At first I was embarrassed, like why are you taking this photo? And this has now become one of my favorite photos because not only is it me at an altar with my boys, unbeknown to me, my father was standing behind me worshiping. And God somehow brings out the best in us in the worst of times. And folks, all I know is that when the floodwaters receded 
I found myself on a mountain I did not set out to climb. And look, I'm not entitled to any of this. What the Lord gives, he can take away. And as long as he sees fit for me to serve in this capacity, and as long as I have the blessing of those I'm accountable to, I'm going to stand up here every single week to the best of my ability to faithfully point people to Jesus, and that's what I'm going to do. and be seated. It's going to feel like a Catholic church here in a second. <laughs> but here's all I would say. I just wish people would take into consideration how ostracizing, how humiliating, how tormenting, and how painful it is for a family when you choose to use their name as clickbait. And what is sport for some is real life for others. And church, I promise you, God will use the storms that bring you down to raise you up.